turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 36. The chapter ends with these words, which is my text for today. Esau was the father of the Edomites. Uh, history calls them the Edomians. Esau was their father. They're not known as the godliest people in history, but it's where we are on our journey through the book of Genesis. Uh, the book of Genesis is a book about fathers and mothers, so anywhere in that book relates to Father's Day. After their dad, Jacob, died and they buried him, Esau parted ways permanently from his brother Jacob, or Israel, and unlike Lot, a relative who left Abraham because there was conflict, they were both so blessed, so rich, they had to separate, form two different communities. Lot chose a pleasant area, which turned out to be a, a sinful area, and Esau chose a tough area. He's a tough guy. He's going to be blessed and he's going to prove it, I guess. And he's known as the founder of Petra, which other civilizations took over and improved and did some amazing things there. It's now uninhabited, but it is a tourist attraction in Jordan. Have you found Genesis 36? Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elan, the Hittite, Aholibamah, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basimath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nabajath. Now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basimath bore Ruel, and Aholibamah bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, and Ruel, the son of Basimath the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These were the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These were the sons of Aholibamah, Esau's wife, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion. And she bore to Esau Jeush, 
Jeolam, and Korah. These were the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, were Chief Teman, Chief Omar, Chief Zepho, Chief Kenaz, Chief Korah, Chief Gatam, and Chief Amalek. These were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. They were the sons of Adah. These were the sons of Ruel, Esau's son, Chief Nahath, Chief Zerah, Chief Shammah, and Chief Mizah. These were the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. And these were the sons of Aholibema, Esau's wife. Chief Jeush, Chief Jeolam, and Chief Korah. These were the chiefs who descended from Aholibema, Esau's wife, the daughter of Ana. These were the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these were their chiefs. These were the sons of Seir, the Horite, who inhabited the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Daishan, Ezer, and Daishan. These were the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir, in the land of Edom. And the sons of Lotan were Horai and Heman. Lotan's sister was Timnah. These were the sons of Shobal. Alvin, Manahath, Ebel, Shifo, and Onan. These were the sons of Zibion, both Aja and Ana. This was the Ana who found the water in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of his father Zibion. These were the children of Ana, Daishon and Aholibema, the daughter of Ana. These were the sons of Daishan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Kiran. These were the sons of Ezur, Bilhan, Zevan, and Achan. These were the sons of Daishan, Az, and Aran. These were the chiefs of the Horites, Chief Lotan, Chief Shobal, Chief Zibion, Chief Ana, Chief Daishan, Chief Ezer, and Chief Daishan. These were the chiefs of the Horites, according to their chiefs in the land of Seir. Now these were the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinabah. And when Bela died, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. When Jobab died, Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. And when Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his place. And the name of his city was Avith. 
When Hader died, Samla of Masrika reigned in his place. And when Samla died, Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his place. When Saul died, Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. And when Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, Hadar reigned in his place, and the name of his city was Peu. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. And these were the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their families and their places, by their names. Chief Timnah, Chief Alva, Chief Jetheth, Chief Aholibamah, Chief Elah, Chief Pinan, Chief Kenaz, Chief Timan, Chief Mibzar, Chief Magdiel, and Chief Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. Esau was the father of the Edomites. Esau was the father of the Edomites. Why is that in the Bible? Well, God had promised their forefather Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. God's word is true. And from Abraham directly came Ishmael and Isaac and then six sons from his second wife Keturah after Sarah died. So it's possible that eight nations came right out of Abraham directly. When his son Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was expecting twins, she was told two nations were in her womb. So this is a record of one of those nations. What does that have to do with redemptive history? Well, how many enjoy artwork? It's great, right? But how many enjoy a good picture frame around artwork? Just kind of sets it off, right? So this is a framework around it. If you're interested in more of this, it's reviewed again in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. We won't go there, but I just want to challenge you to consider the importance of where you came from. We don't want to get obsessed with genealogy. That can become a hobby, but it can become an obsession and take you nowhere. Understanding our roots is important. Understanding history is important. Otherwise, we're doomed to repeat it, right? In my own life, when I heard the majority of Americans do not know the full names of their great-grandparents, that scared me. That means the children of my grandchildren won't even know who I am. Well, if you're alive, they may know you. Well, they may know me as great-granddaddy, the old man in the rocking chair, but will they know my name? You know, to to live here 70-plus years and then the children of your grandchildren don't even know who you are? This is the blessing of eternal life, right? Looking forward to heaven. So I did a little digging in my ancestry, and these are my forefathers up to the great-grandparent level. I thought I would go deeper, Great-great-grandparents, you have 16 of them. Great-great-great, you have 32 of them. Great-great-great-great, you have 64 of them. And great to the fifth power, you got 128 people. Forget it, I'm done. I'm done. 
And then there's my tree going below. So in today's story, we're breaking in to Esau's family tree. His roots go all the way back through his father, Isaac, his grandfather, Abraham, and his his great-grandfather, Terah. And then zeroing in on his wives, he had three wives and children. One of his wives was, was named Aholibamah. It's interesting that Eliphaz had a child he named Timon. And if you remember the story of Job, the first comforter to speak to him, they're called comforters or not, is Eliphaz the Timonite. So that comforter was a descendant of Esau, possibly. So the story of Job could have happened during the time of Israel's enslavement in Egypt. Could have involved Edomites. It's interesting. But everything about them was not godly. Uh, Everything about them was not good. The name Eliphaz means the god of gold. Okay, uh, God's the god of the world. We can make a god out of gold, right? Raul, that's a good name. Uh, Means friend of God. But beyond that, the names really don't relate to God. Jeush means hasty. Korah means ice. Guess he was born on a cold night. And Jalem or Yaelam means occult. O-C-C-U-L-T. That's not good. From Esau came these rulers that were called chiefs or dukes or kings. One was named Alva, which means moral perverseness or wicked. One was named Pinon, which means perplexity. Esau had a grandson through Eliphaz. Eliphaz had a child out of wedlock with a Horite concubine, and they named him Amalek. In the midst of this genealogy, if you're confused, is a different people group called the Horites. And Esau went in and inhabited their land. So Amalek grew up and fathered a nation of Israel's greatest enemy in biblical history. The Amalekites, the Amalekites. Saul refused to wipe them out. Haman, in the story of Esther, who wanted to kill all the Jews, was an Amalekite. Going back to Esau. Esau changed his mind from killing his brother, but there's no record of him drawing near to God, building an altar, worshiping or praying or having godly encounters. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, the truth about legacies. Can we say legacy? Legacy means a gift by through a will especially of money or other personal property. You know, he left me his antique Chevy out front. A bequest. She left us a legacy of a million dollars, is the word legacy used in a sentence. It also means something received from an ancestor or from the past. In a sentence, in that definition could be the war left us a legacy of pain and suffering. So legacy generally is thought of as good, but it doesn't have to be good. It can be tough. 
can be rough. Maybe your forefathers left you a, a rough legacy to follow up behind. In preaching against evolution, my dad used to say, my forefathers may have swung by their necks, but they never swung by their tails. The truth about legacies, everyone leaves some sort of legacy, everybody. It can be celebrated, tolerated, rich or poor, good or bad, remembered, or to be forgotten. Everyone, can we say everybody, leaves some sort of legacy. Robert Louis Dugdale, in 1874, studied 709 inmates in 13 county jails in the state of New York and discovered that 540 of them were related who could all be traced back to a Dutch immigrant. They had four different last names, but they all related back. And so he wrote a book and called them the Jukes going all the way back to Max, man he called Max, Max Jukes. For the sake of his study and not cluttering his, his writings, he called in the Jukes. This is what he found from these 540 guys. 76 of them were convicted criminals. 18 were pimps. 120 were prostitutes. 200 were homeless. 680 were admitted alcoholics. Two were mentally insane. And they cost the state of New York within the time span he was studying from where they began to where they were then, $420,000. Publishing his findings later, Albert Winship, a minister, educator, and journalist, did his own studies on the descendants of Jonathan Edwards, who lived in the early 1700s. He was a revivalist. Everything about him wasn't perfect. He was controversial in some ways and yet awesome in other ways. He had 11 children with his wife, and from their descendants came 430 ministers, 86 university professors, 13 university chancellors, 75 authors, seven members of Congress, one vice president, Aaron Burr, was his descendant, I think a grandson. And they cost the state of New York or any state zero dollars. Now, I know these numbers have grown because this was done around 1900, this study was done. And so, um, legacy is important, isn't it? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Maybe your forefathers had a less than honorable legacy, but you do not have to be trapped by it. I know the Old Testament says that God allows the iniquity of the fathers to be visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. That means if you live a wicked life, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren can struggle with stuff. Why would God allow that? Because it's a blessing. He cuts it off. Okay? So every generation is responsible for itself. Righteousness carries a blessing to a thousand generations. The earth's not even that old. So God's blessings can continue. But God limited the wickedness to the third and fourth generation. It doesn't mean you have to be trapped by that. 
You don't have to be trapped by a regrettable past, your own past or the past of your forefathers. You don't have to be trapped by your family's history. You don't have to be trapped by sin that is passed down to you from your great-grandfather or grandfather or father. You don't have to be trapped through generational curses. There is such a thing as generational curses, but you do not have to be trapped by it. Now, some people say you do, and they judge you based on your fathers. And the world will make a slave out of you because of the misdeed of your dad. It happens. They're slaves. I could name a couple countries where children are enslaved because of their dad's debts. That's not justice, and that's not God. Jeremiah prophesied, chapter 31, verse 29, in those days they will not say again. He's talking about the days of the new covenant. We live in those days. They will not say this. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. You ever eat a sour grape and it does a number on your teeth? You won't say children's teeth are affected by what their father ate. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Ezekiel likewise prophesied in chapter 18 of his book, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Verse 19 of the same chapter, he goes on to say, Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? It's foreign to their culture, I guess. Because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns away from all his sins which he has committed, keeps my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him, because of the righteousness which he has done he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways? God does not have pleasure in punishing people. He has pleasure in forgiving people and restoring them. So, no one has to stay trapped by their legacy. Repent. Today, you can begin a new legacy by receiving the one Christ gives freely in being born again. Jesus told a religious leader in John 3, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In another place, 
he said, do not forbid children to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. He also said, unless you become as a child, you cannot inherit eternal life. So in being born again is humbling ourselves. Not just a miracle that takes place in our heart and my spirit man is given new life. It's humbling ourselves and starting over with Jesus. Dad, I need your guidance. It's a posture of learning, growing in him. And so when asked, how can a man be born again when he is old? He gave John 3.16 as the answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world's already condemned. So Jesus came to bring salvation. So we must be born again. You want to be freed from the legacy of the past, be born again. Paul wrote in his second letter to a church in Corinth of Greece, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The old King James says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So if that's true, that impacts our legacy from the past and our legacy moving forward. Today we can begin a new legacy by receiving the one Christ gives freely, by personally receiving his forgiveness and truly extending it to everyone. This is why it is so important to honor our fathers, even though they may not be worthy. God has commanded us with promise, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. And another passage, that you may live long on the earth. You dishonor your father, there's a good chance you may not live out your full life. There's problems in your life, dishonoring your father for causing them isn't going to correct them. Is he worthy? He's worthy, right, of our obedience. So we honor our fathers. And we extend the forgiveness we've received to them and to everyone else. We're talking about Esau today, the father of the Edomites. Here's some insight into him from Hebrews chapter 12. It tells us, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now, was Esau sinned against? Yes. Was he tricked? Yes. Was it an injustice? Yes. But that gives no one an excuse to become bitter and to affect their nation, their descendants, with a legacy of bitterness.
a bowl of soup, he sold his birthright. So many people sell out the freedom that is available to us in Christ for one offense. may not be a bowl of soup. It may be an atrocity. may be a terrible thing. But you hold on to it. It keeps you from receiving what God has for you. Let's just make a fist. You make a fist? It's difficult to give what's in your hand if there's a fist made. It's difficult to give with fist, but it's also difficult to receive unless you open your hand. Like the challenge to us today is to open our hearts and say, Lord, I've been hurt. I'm going to give it to you. Jesus was our example. You can do this. When sinned against, you think you can't forgive. You can pray, Father, forgive him. Lord God Almighty, forgive her. Lord Jesus, forgive them. Pray for God's forgiveness in their life. And I believe if you make that a regular pattern, when the bitterness comes up, pray for God to forgive them, you'll begin to receive grace and you'll shift from Lord forgive them to Lord help me to forgive. We need his help, right? We're talking about legacy. Everyone leaves some sort of legacy. No one has to be trapped by the legacy left to them. Today you can begin a new legacy by receiving the one Christ gives freely. And tomorrow we can build on our new legacy by following Jesus and influencing others to do the same. How do I follow Jesus? It involves three things. The principles of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and the people of Jesus. The principles of Jesus is the Word of God. He was God's Word made flesh. He came and gave about 70 commands telling us how to live. If we live by those, we're following what he said to do, right? The presence of Jesus is his Holy Spirit, asking him to fill you and empower you to do his will. And the people of Jesus are people endeavoring to be empowered by Jesus to carry out the will of Jesus. Fellow strugglers, fellow followers, those three things in our life is what makes a Jesus follower. And the fourth part is our influencing others to follow him too. Happy Father's Day. Let me just extend it to everybody. Happy Influencers Day. Ladies, you're influencers. Men, we're influencers. Whether you've fathered a child or not, you are an influence in somebody's life. Do it.